I've just been overwhelmed by that passage there with regard to what uh, Judah and Simeon did to that king. And there's so much in the scriptures about God doing something for us to settle us down and to take away our fight and argumentation with him and take away our flight trying to get away from him. Now we see that in Adam and Eve. I mean, it's just so plain. They didn't want a word with him and they ran from him. And we need that dealt with. We need that whole uh, relationship that developed when Adam and sinned and, and Eve, and we need that negated. We need that taken away. And, and the, the only way that we can be at rest is, and to be comfortable is when we're not afraid of something. And we're going to look at that a little bit here in the scriptures. So let's look here in the book of Judges. <clears throat> and I want, to, I want to start reading with verse 4. Uh, Judah's the one that has been appointed by the Lord to go up, and he invites his brother uh, to go with him uh, to fight the uh, Canaanites and these um, parasites that are in the land. And they, they go out, and God gives them. He, God said, I will give you the victory, and he truly gives them the victory. And they defeat a whole host. And I, it doesn't tell us how many they had in their army, but, you know... In regards to what so many other places that we find about Israel going into battle is I don't know if they lost any. <laughs> the other the other group paid dearly, but it doesn't tell us that they lost any. And that's truly the way the Lord protected them. And then it tells us here in verse uh, 4, Judah went up and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand and they slew of them in Bezek 10,000 men. Now, I have noticed this one thing about commentaries. Most commentaries, the, the, the best job they do is to create doubt. Now, I read it right here, and then I go to a commentary, and say, oh, that couldn't have been that many. You know, and, and it's going to get down here, and uh, this uh, Anobezek said he did the same mutilation to 70 kings, and they said, that, there couldn't have been 70 kings. You know, all that does is create doubt in people and say, well, I wonder if this is right, and I wonder if that's right. I believe what the Bible says, and if it says right there, 10,000, I'm going to say, Lord, okay. And if it says 70 kings, okay, that's what it is. I think we just could trust the Lord in the matter. So it says, and they, they uh, slew 10,000, and they found Anobezek of Bezek. He's the king of Bezek, and he fought, and they fought against him. Now notice this. this there's just an outline here. They fought against him, and they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and Anobezek fled, and they pursued him and caught him. Now, I'm thankful from this standpoint that the Lord does the same thing for us. He pursues us and caught him. Now, that was against, Anobezek didn't really want that to happen, and neither do we. We we find out that he imposes himself on us, and then we are really thankful that he does that. And then he, they did something to him that was often done among these peoples in, the, in this part of the world at that time, because that king did it to 70 other kings, and they took off their thumbs and they took off their great toes. Now, last week we mentioned that when he did that to those kings and when they did that to him, 
It took away his ability to use a spear or a, or a bow, and it took away his ability to run. Now, there's something here for us in this, because the Lord does much the same for every lost sheep that he saves. In our lost sheep condition, before Christ ever comes to us with the gospel, we are runners and we are fighters. We follow that with Saul of Tarsus, and he, he himself admitted that he was a type of believers, that we fuss with God and we fight with God, and then we run from God just like our first parents did. Well, we mentioned a couple of three verses last week about this, and we find out it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And that repentance is not repenting of our sins. That repentance is taking God's side against us, against ourselves. That repentance is turning from dumb idols to serve the living God. This is much more than what religion teaches us repentance is. This repentance, God-given repentance, is a change of mind about God. And we come to the conclusion that God is right when he tells us that we're sinners. He's right in what is required to save those sinners. And that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And he requires that everybody that is ever saved must believe on him. It's a command and must trust him. And then he supplies the fulfillment of that command. We also found last week in 2 Corinthians, it is the love of Christ that constraineth us. Now, constraining means we're brought down, we're held down. And it is the love of Christ that does this. God doesn't do it out of anger. He doesn't do it out of bitterness. He doesn't do it out of carrot stick mentality. He constrains us out of his love. He does that. And we, in in retrospect, we say, thank you, Lord, for doing that. Now, there's many things that other people in the scriptures, other saints in the scriptures may have done but the love of Christ constrained them. And the same is true with us. The things that we could do, the things that we might, where we might be, we might be in prison if it wasn't for the love of Christ constraining us. So it is such a, a wonderful thing that he does for us. And that helps to take the fuss out of us. It helps to take the flight out of us. It takes the fight out of us. And we also found out that... Uh, uh, he 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 does so much with regard to he did it with a with a wild colt a colt that had never been broken an ass's colt that had never been broken and we find when he sat on it that colt just did exactly what he was given the ability to do and that was to carry Jesus into Jerusalem and there's you know I have seen horses that are good horses. I haven't been around many donkeys. I haven't been around many asses. But I have seen good horses, work horses, trained horses get into a crowd and go berserk. You know, my good friend Faye had that happen a couple times. They were good work horses and would not normally do that. But they got into a crowd and all the noise and stuff going on. Well, Jesus went right down a boulevard with people throwing clothes in the street and waving those palms. And you know what? That colt just took him to where he was supposed to go without any fuss. And that is certainly, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. He takes the flight out of us and he takes the flight out of us. 
We also find that that passage of scripture over there about the maniac of Gadara, it just speaks volumes about us in our natural state, that religion made every effort possible to constrain us, even with chains, and talk about the law. It was imposed on us like a chain, and yet every day we broke it. We could not keep that law. We tried as hard as we could. We had people tell us we need to do more, and you know, we just couldn't. We broke that law on a continuous basis. And then, by the mercy and grace of God, the gospel come along about the Lord Jesus Christ and his great work of redemption and preached it to us, and we were given ears to hear and we can, as that, that maniac of Gadara, sit down in the presence of Christ without fear, be clothed with his robe of righteousness, and not fuss about it, not want to impose our righteousness. It's righteousness. We must trust his righteousness. It's all we can have. And then we're sitting, we're clothed, and we're in our right mind. And what is that? God is right. God is truth. God is everything. And Jesus Christ is our only hope and our only Savior. So he did that. And so we find so often uh, the scriptures help us to understand how the Lord takes the fight and the flight out of rebellious lost sheep. And he does that. And it's of necessity that he does that. So over in the book of Zechariah, there's a verse over there that I was reminded of in going through here because it hasn't been that long ago we were over there in the book of Zechariah in chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4, and there in verse 6 we read this. Now, the Lord lets us know that what he does to settle us down and what he does to take away our instinct to run is given to us because we no longer have any fear of him. We have reverence, but we're not afraid. We can come boldly. But here it says in the the book of Zechariah, oh, please. Is it three over six? Is it three verse six? I think it's four. Is it four? I think that's what you said. Well, that's not the verse I wanted. Or did I? Well, it says there, We know it is not by might, nor by power. Four, six. Four, six. Okay, it is right. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So it's... It's not our intellectual ability. It's not our ability to settle down. It's not our ability to be uh, in the presence of God on our own. It is because of the Holy Spirit and what he has done for us that takes that, that whole issue away from us. Now, keeping that in mind, travel with me back just a little bit to the book of Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. Now, it's very interesting that chapter 37 follows chapter 36. And there's so much in chapter 36. But in chapter 37, beginning with verse 10, read this with me as we think about how the Lord, how does the Lord take the fight and the flight out of us? 
He takes that natural instinct to fight with God and that natural instinct to run from God. He takes it away from us and gives us rest and peace and solitude. And we no longer have that hanging over us. Well, here in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37 and verse 10, we read this. So I prophesied as I was commanded as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Now we know that this is the conclusion of the Valley of Dry Bones. Now listen to this, though. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, and our hope is lost. We are cut off from our parts. Therefore preach, prophesy, preach, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of of God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Now that's the promise that God made made to the church. I will get you out of that death hole that you were in. I will release you from death. I will release you from spiritual death. And then, verse 13, And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. Hallelujah. My goodness, what a description we have here of the condition that we're in. I will bring you out of your graves. And then put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Now, this is what the Lord's going to do for us. I will place you in your own land. I'm not going to leave it up to you to find the place. I will place you in your own land. Then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel as as his companions, and then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph and the stick of Ephraim and all the house of Israel, his companions. Now, prior to that, we find out that God's going to open up the graves of his lost sheep. We're going to call them Israel because they are spiritual Israel. I was told today the church is not in the Old Testament. I says, the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews says otherwise. The church is in the Old Testament. God's assembly of saints is in the Old Testament. He called them out just like he does now. And everybody in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews are Old Testament saints. Now, I will take you out. I will open your graves. I'll bring you into the new land and I will take care of you. And then um, we find out he's going to place us in the land and we're going to be at peace in that land. Turn with me. On the same vein, turn with me to to Psalm 44. Psalm 44. In Psalm 44, we read these words along the same line. How does the Lord take the fight and flight out of his rebellious lost sheep? Well, number one, they're no longer lost sheep. They're found sheep. We find out my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. We find out that they have always been his sheep, and we just get to discover that truth about it. He's always had us in mind. We get to discover that truth about us. He's always had an everlasting love for us. We just get to discover that truth about it. We're going to find out he has always had his righteousness for us 
that robe of righteousness, and we just get to learn the truth about it. He has always had us in an interest. He's had us written down in the Lamb's Book of Life from before the foundation of the world, and we find out about it. And we also had a lamb slain from before the foundation of the world prepared not in reaction to what happened in the Garden of Eden, but an action that is going to take place because of the Garden of Eden. All right, here in Psalm 44, there in verse uh, verse uh, verse 3, Psalm 44, verse 3, it says here, For they got not the land in the possession by their own sword. Now, we're, we're about to go into the Promised Land in the book of Numbers. Joshua takes us in. And they did not get the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them. But by the, but thy right hand and thine arm and the light of thy countenance, because thou hast a favor upon them. Thou art my God, my king, O God, command deliverance for Jacob. Through thee will we push down our enemies. Through thy name will we tread them under that rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me. But thou hast saved us from our enemies and hast put them to shame that hated us. In God we boast all the day long. We praise thy name forever, Selah. What a statement that God does for his people here. And they acknowledge the fact that he has pushed down their enemies and it's not by their bow and it's not by their sword that this victory has been won. All right, now go back with me to the book of Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. In Ezekiel chapter 36, what, what a familiar passage of scripture this is. And uh, I think it's read at least twice twice a month in some lesson, maybe three times a month in some lesson, because there's so much in it. And this is Old Testament. This is what God said in the Old Testament. So Ezekiel 36, verse 33. Notice this with me. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 33. Thus saith the Lord God, in the day that I shall have cleansed you from all your iniquities, Ezekiel 36, verse 33. I will also cause you to dwell in the cities. You know, I don't know how much truth there is in it, but it sounds good that one of the reasons that there became civilizations is that people could grow enough food that they could live in a city. (laughs) And they were not wanderers looking for for, uh, food. They had enough coming in. They could live in a city. And a city had defenses. And all of that stuff that we learn about, the benefits of these cities, particularly in the Old Testament, he says, I will cause you to dwell in the cities. What's that about? There's enough food. There's enough protection. And the way shall be builded, and the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by. And they shall say, This land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. Where is that? That is in Christ. That is where we are at rest. That is where we are at peace. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities become fenced and are inhabited. 
God turns everything around. God puts it in its proper uh, position that was there. Then the heathen that are left around about you shall know that I, the Lord, build the ruined places and plant that that was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and I will do it. So I'm the one that is going to make you settle down. I'm going to take this out. There's going to be plenty of food here. There's going to be protection here. Everything that you need. You will have no wants when it comes to spiritual blessings. I will provide every spiritual blessing. So there's no need for you to fight or to flight. I've taken that out of you. I will do that. That's part of what he does in the everlasting covenant. Now, it's interesting. When we went through the book of uh, Leviticus, when we went through the book of Leviticus, uh, I, was, I was told today that that's a, well, he didn't use the word flyover, but I supplied it and he understood what I was talking about. And I said, I used to think that too. But probably that was the richest place of my ministry was going through the book of Leviticus because it was such, it had the notoriety of being so dry and yet it was plum full of sweet fruit. And in the book of Leviticus, there was something happened that we find similar to this. Great thumbs, great toes are going to be dealt with in the book of Leviticus. Only the ear, the right ear, the right big the thumb, and the right big toe. Well, they didn't take it off, but we find out what God did to symbolize that he's taking care of this problem. And that's in the book of Leviticus chapter 8. The book of Leviticus chapter 8. Join me in the book of Leviticus chapter 8, verse 22. In Leviticus chapter 8, verse 22, we have the, the dedication, if you please. Chapter 8, verse 22, we have the consecration of Aaron and his sons. There, it's just beginning of the tabernacle era. We have a high priest. We have other priests, which are the sons of Aaron. And we want to just interject this, that having this animal blood on your ear and on your thumb and on your big toe that's going to happen did not change the hearts of anybody because two of these priests that are dedicated are going to turn on God. Now, when we have this in the heart, we will not. But if we just have as a religious or uh, thing, it's just something we've done. We've just joined the church. We've just got baptized. We've just did something really spiritual. I was listening to uh, uh, somebody uh, today, and they brought up, you know, the, the phraseology today is, did you get saved? Well, like you're, you're doing it on yourself. You know what? God gives us salvation. We just don't get saved. Well, that's what it is. And if you just, that's all you have, then whatever this symbol is doesn't mean a thing. But when God does it, he takes out the fuss and he takes out the ability to run. And people who can, people who can run and argue with God, no doubt are those that the Apostle Paul wrote to in Galatia and said, anathema on your gospel, anathema. All right, we'll read this here. He brought uh, in uh, Leviticus chapter 8, verse 22, and he brought the 
He brought the other ram, the ram of consecration, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands upon the head of the ram, and he slew it. And Moses took of the blood of it, and notice what he did with some of that blood. He put it upon the tip of Aaron's right ear, upon the thumb of his right hand, and upon the great toe of his right foot. And he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put the blood upon the tip of their right ear, upon the thumbs of their right hands, and upon the great toes of their right feet. And Moses sprinkled the blood upon the altar round about. This is how God chose to consecrate these priests. That was just typical. It was pictorial. But what the Lord does for us spiritually is what he did or had done to that king. He removed his great, his, his thumbs and his great toes. That was so this man would never fight again and never run again. And we're thankful from a spiritual context that that's what he does for us when he saves us. He takes all the fight and the fuss and the running away. We can say with all power, I can't go back. I can't leave. I am here. Why? There's food here. Why? There's water here. Why? There's a place to rest here. This is where it is. We have rest in Christ. He has become all our food. He's become all our water. There's no reason to go anywhere else. And besides that, we can't go anywhere else. He has tied us to himself. He has made us. He is the vine. We are the branches. Can't leave. All right. Notice with me, and we've gone over this in the past, but I want to do it again because I'm looking at it from a different light, and that is the book of Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 is that wonderful chapter in Isaiah that starts with comfort ye. Now there's some reasons that this comfort is given, and they're listed right here. In this 40th chapter of the book of Isaiah, in verse 1, the command to Isaiah, Isaiah is a prophet. This is not the only prophet that was given this message. The other prophets were given the same message. Our responsibility is to preach to the people of God. It says, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Now, this message is not for everybody. <laughs> not everybody's going to get comfort out of this message. In fact, most people don't get any comfort out of it because they don't have to do anything. <laughs> you know, and that's brought to our attention that we can't do anything. In fact, anything that we do is wrong. It really grates us in the wrong direction. But that's what happens. God reveals that we can't do anything. And after a while, we say, I don't want to do anything. I want your righteousness. I want your bread. I want your water. And because it is, that's what settles us. Well, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Now, the God of heaven, speaking to one of his children, who happens to be one somebody that he called out of the midst of everybody and said, I have a ministry for you. I really appreciated the lesson on Sunday about there in the book of Hebrews. You know, it's it's hard for the pastor sometimes to say what other people can read, <laughs> but that's the truth. 
you know, oh, to be able to to rejoice and not have heartache. And here it says, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. What's that? That's the church. Speak comfortably to the church. Now, a whole bunch of these folks don't know they're the church. <laughs> I didn't know I was the church until after I was saved and I found out I'm the church. And the church is a called out group of people, called out of darkness, called out of sin, called out of hate, called out of everything. And where to? To the feet of Jesus. That's where we get to assemble, is at the feet of Jesus. That's, what, that's a wonderful place to be. Now, he also gives us the privilege of meeting together as members of his body in a locality we get the privilege of doing that. We need that. We need that fellowship. We need that encouragement. We need people to greet and to pray for me, pray for us, pray for our church, pray for this person that the Lord has put on my heart to deal with and, and talk to, pray. So we need that. But that means nothing if we're not at the feet of Jesus. If we're just in a church for that, just a social club, then there's nothing in it. But if we're at the feet of Jesus, then this means something. We have something that's valuable. All right, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her, preach unto her, share with her that her warfare is accomplished. Now, I heard Brother Henry talk about, uh, he was off of uh, Okinawa on a ship when August of 1945 came around. And uh, the war was over. He says, we got to turn the lights on on the ship at night. We got to holler. We got to hoop. We got to eat. We got everything. We got to make phone calls. We got to do all, because the war was over. The war was over. You know, I, I, I see pictures, photographs of in Paris when the, that place was liberated. And see in New York when the, they found out the war was over. I mean, it's it's happy pandemonium. It just, and to have this told to us that the warfare is over, that we're no longer at war with God, that we are at peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That that God that is uh, the God of all Justice, the God of all holiness, the God of all, uh, of uh, is our God, and that He accepts us as His children because of the blood of Christ. He says, "Cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned." You know, the Bible tells us what separated us from God: our sin, our iniquity. That's what. That's the whole issue. That's the problem. We want to deal with it in our way. We want to deal with it in a human way. We want to deal with it in a natural way. And God says, no, there is no peace in that. There is no peace with me in that. I will take all of that away from you, and I will give you the imputed righteousness of Christ, and I will give you the the, uh, the results of the shedding of his blood, the blood of Christ on behalf of your sins. I will take away all of your own intentions on this and I will give you my intentions. And then after it happens, we say, Lord, thank you, Lord. 
because my intentions were bad. They were self-glorifying. And his intentions are his self-glorifying. I will get the blessing and the honor out of this. So speak comfortably. Why? Her iniquity is pardoned. Uh, the warfare is accomplished. Her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Now, what does that mean? He didn't have to reach into his pocket and pull out the last cent, the last cent to pay it off. He said, it's plenteous redemption. It's plenteous. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It is so great of redemption. It is not just barely getting by, just barely paying the last. It is so overwhelming, the redemption that we have in Christ. Now, through this whole thing, we find out that we are, that the, uh, uh, what, what the Lord has done for us and he comforts his people, takes away the reason to run and the reason to fight. We don't need that anymore. We don't have it anymore. We're at peace with God. The message of comfort, the war is over. The enemy is defeated. You know, our greatest enemy is ourself, our sin. But all the other things that we may think that are our enemies. You know, it's so wonderful to find out that Satan was defeated at the cross. That he poses no threat at all for the children of God. All we can say, well, he's God's devil. He doesn't pose us any threat at all. He cannot bring up a a railing accusation. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. There is no reason to fear anything about him because we have great salvation in Christ. There is, he has no power. He, he can possess no threat to the children of God. Uh, he has no power whatsoever in the life or the, of a believer. There's nothing there. He cannot touch anybody. I... I was discussing today, you know, I remember Flip Wilson, the comedian, and one of his favorite sayings is, the devil made me do it. What a cop-out. And that's used all the time by people who say they're Christians, that it was the devil. It was the devil. If we look at it, we find out it is natural man's terrible heart in action and when he saves us, he takes away all that ability that anything he could do. So judgment is over. Man, I, I can sit here now. Judgment's over. I don't have to worry. I don't have to. You know, people ran to the city of refuge, but then they settled down. It was like they had their great thumb, their thumbs and their great toes taken off. They weren't going to fight anymore, and they weren't going to run anymore. This is where I'm going to be, because if I go out there, you know what? We don't want to go out there. We don't want to go out where the avenger of blood is. We want to be right here in Christ, settled, because this is where hope and protection is. Judgment is over. Christ took our judgment. No danger or threat to the saint or his safety can come up. The curse has been removed. 
Christ became a curse for us. Her iniquities are pardoned. The problem, the problem, the problem is taken care of. If Christ died for my sins, I shall not have to die for them. Since he died for my sins, now I sin. You know, most of us never want to tell anybody about what we really are. The thoughts that go through our mind. Once in a while, we we visit with someone. Oh, but the fear of that is over because he took it to the cross. The fear of sin and the result of it is over. There's, there's no need for guilt. He took our guilt. We sin more than we want to, and, and it's despicable in our, in our flesh. And we're, oh, wretched man that I am, but it shall never be laid charge to us that I'm going to sit right here in Christ. Not going to worry about that. He'll take care of it. Christ died for my sins. Our sin is blotted out. Blood cleanseth me from all sin. Then he says, comfort ye, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Now, in the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 4, 1 Kings chapter 4. I like this passage of Scripture. It describes Solomon's kingdom. And Solomon's kingdom, I like what the Lord said about it, uh, greater than Solomon is here. (laughs) He didn't ever say that about David. He said that about Solomon. Solomon's kingdom was so typical, pictorial of his kingdom. Because it tells us here in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 25. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 25. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely Every man under his vine and under his fig tree. From Dan even to Beersheba. When? All the days of Solomon. Every man. You know what? There was never a call for army. There was never uh, a draft. They dwelt in their under their fig tree, under their vine, and under their fig tree. Where do we dwell? In our vine. We're the branches. There, there's no worry. All right, and then that same thought is brought up in the book of Micah. Micah chapter four. Verse 3 and 4. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Now, I've, I've had this told me, that's 
That's during the millennium. That's during the millennium. You know what? That's today. The Lord takes care of that today. For But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. None shall make them afraid. You can't take away what I have. You cannot take away what I have in Christ. I have been pruned by the Lord, the best. <laughs> he's taken me, spiritually speaking, he's taken my thumbs and my great toes off. And I have no interest whatsoever of arguing with him, fighting with him, or flighting, leaving him. Because he's taken that away by all he's done. He is the Lord. He is my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. He takes care of it. He will not lose any. He is watching over everyone. He's taking care of every need. Even Peter, he denied the Lord three times. First words out of his mouth to Peter was, Peace be unto you. As well as the other disciples as they were gathered. Peace be unto you. And the same thing is told Thomas when he's there. Peace. I'm not here to bring up the past. I'm here to tell you what comfort you have in Christ. So we have a man, I believe, is a type of what God does for his church. He takes the fight and the flight out of the church. We don't have an interest in leaving. You know, people leave don't have anything. That's all there is to it. People leave. They just, oh, I don't know how many people I've had, parents, older parents, generally speaking, they won all of their children to the Lord when they were young, and now they're just not serving the Lord. They're away from the Lord now. Sorry. The Lord does a better job than that. If it's just, we've just convinced them to some truths or something, and it's nothing, God ever didn't do anything for them, then they're, not, they're out there where they are by their own will and purpose. But we pray that God will go there just like he did for us. God will go there. God will bring them the gospel. God will retrieve them out of the pit they're in. God will settle them down, and then they will be pleased to serve him. That is what we find. So, the Lord lets us sit under the vine at peace. He is our bread. He is our food. He is our refuge. He is our hope. He is our righteousness. He's our peace. He is our all and in all. And the church says, I rest my case. And we'll stop there tonight. And we'll pick up another place here in Judges chapter 1 next time.